0: Hey there, friends, and welcome to episode 207 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week I'm joined by a wildlife ecologist for a review of Savannah Royalty, African lions. We discuss what it's like to be an ecologist working in the field alongside truly awe-inspiring wildlife, what makes lions such iconic big cats from their impressive mane all the way down to their surprisingly tactical tail, and why their relationship to us is so important for inspiring passion for conservation and learning to live peacefully with our wild neighbors. Just the Zoo of Us presents African lions with Dr. Ray Wynne grant It's Ellen Weatherford with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. I'm so excited and like a little bit starstruck this week to talk to Dr. Ray Wynne grant Say hi. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You are like living the dream, I think, (laughs) for like so many, especially like animal and nature loving kids, right? I feel like you are like living the dream of getting to be out there and working with amazing animals and then also getting to like info dump on other people about those amazing animals.
1: (laughs) I have to say I have been astonished by my career because it has continue to deliver on what I wanted as a kid. And I just never necessarily knew that that was real and possible. But I'm very, very fortunate. It's, it's been a lot of fun and very wild, that's for sure.
0: Wild is right, because you're working with wildlife. And for friends listening that maybe this is their first time hearing your voice, I would love to get to know you a little bit. What is your work with these wild uh, animals, these large carnivores, and these amazing creatures that you work with? Like, What has that work been like for you?
1: Yeah, I am a wildlife ecologist, and an ecologist is a type of biologist that studies the environment and organisms and how they interact with their environment. So I'm a wildlife ecologist, which means I study wild animals, so not pets like dogs and cats and goldfish, but the ones in the wilderness that are untamed and how they interact with their environment. And I've always focused on large carnivores. And if you have an idea of what a large carnivore is, carnivores are meat-eating mammals, and and the big ones right so the polar bears and the tigers and you know all of those amazing kind of ferocious animals are the ones that i've always studied for lots of different reasons but One of the main reasons is that when I was a kid, I would watch these nature shows and, you know, there's always lions and tigers and bears, literally (laughs) on these shows. And I thought to myself, well, this is great. Like who wouldn't want to build a career around these animals? And, you know, along the journey to becoming a wildlife ecologist, I learned that they're not the only important animals or they're not necessarily the most important animals when it comes to impact on this planet, right? So, you know, insects are so important and bacteria is so important and you know amphibians and reptiles i mean every type of animal in the world plays this huge role in keeping this planet healthy and balanced and yet i've still just remained focused on large carnivores and it has just been so fun so there's so many different ways to study wild animals you can literally just type questions into Google and get answers, and that counts as studying
0: wild animals. That's extremely validating to hear from you because that's (laughs) a lot of times, that's what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) It counts, that is absolutely a way to study them, learn about them, and probably be involved in protecting them as well. And what I do is I study them out in the wilderness. So I do field work, and I have a team that I've built, and we set camera traps in the wilderness. Right now, my team and I are studying mountain lions, and so we set cameras in the wilderness to kind of spy on these animals and see what they're up to. And we collect data in other ways. And all of that information helps us learn what these mountain lions need to continue to be protected and to be okay and to survive for the long term. Mm. And that protection of wild animals is called conservation. So there's a science to conservation. There's a science to figuring out how to best protect them. And that's the work that I do, and that's the work that I love, and that's what I hope to always be a part of.
0: I think that since you touched on the fact that these large predators, these large carnivores, a lot of times when you watch nature documentaries or any kind of media about animals, the Predators are usually kind of top billing, you know, like they make mm-hmm. the most theatric and the most cinematic sort of media because they're pretty. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. They're gorgeous. And you've got like Lion King, which is really like putting in a lot of work in the PR department. Absolutely. Were you uh, were you an animal kid? I was,
1: but I wasn't a wild animal kid. I was a kid mm-hmm. that had pets. Right. So I had gosh, as a little kid, I had like. I had a cat, I had fish, I had birds, I had pet rats, I had guinea pigs, I had rabbits, we had a tortoise at one point. So (laughs) I definitely had pets, but I didn't live in like a rural landscape. So, you know, we grew up in cities, big cities, smaller cities, always cities. And I was interested in having pets. And I guess, you know, honestly, I don't think I really related the two because Mm. the way I felt I was an animal was by watching these nature documentaries. So I was fascinated by wild animals. You know, I loved my rabbits, I loved my birds, but I was fascinated by wild animals. And the only way for me to access those Was through television. My family didn't go hiking and camping or fishing, hunting, or anything like that. And so to me, watching television brought me to South America, brought me to Africa, brought me to Asia. You know, I actually grew up thinking that nature was very, very far away.
0: It's somewhere else. Yeah, it's it's across an ocean.
1: (laughs) You have to fly for, you know, half a day or a day to get to nature. And so I had a little bit of that disconnect. I didn't really think of my pets as, as animals in that same way. I just, I wanted the, the wild part. And so I saw my first wild animal when I was 20 years old what well, was it it w- <laughs> so when i was 20 i was able to i was in college and i was able to go on a study abroad trip which means you spend a semester in a different country learning and i was in kenya so i went to college in atlanta atlanta georgia which is a big city love atlanta i um, not a lot of wild animals there love it i had a great time and i went all the way to southern kenya and was on um, a drive from the airport in the city of nairobi down to our campsite where we were going to be doing our studying and on the drive we went from like city to suburb to a rural area to wilderness and it just so happened that the first wild animal i saw was a marabou stork (laughs) and people don't think about marabou storks or (laughs) some people never heard of them when you think about african wildlife right you think about giraffes and elephants and zebras and you know lions and so i had never even heard of this but in the distance i could see this thing that looked like a velociraptor on the (laughs) landscape it was marabou storks can be five feet tall and they walk along the landscape and they have these long beaks and they're pretty unbelievable You, you know when you. You see your first one you're like how come people don't talk about this more this is a <laughs> enormous bird that just exists here and it looks like a dinosaur from far away and so that was the first thing I saw, and I remember being like, "Excuse me, excuse me, teacher, <laughs> stop, what stop in the everything! World? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> Have we gone back in time?" And it was a marabou stork, and it was you know probably just half an hour later that I saw a giraffe, and then I saw mm. you know an elephant and all of those other things. So, so I was very fortunate that my first experience seeing wild animals was was pretty iconic. But it was not until my mid 20s that I started exploring wildlife in North America. And I'm from California. And it was in my mid 20s that I started going to wild parts of California and seeing bears and seeing mountain lions and, you know, seeing bobcats and, you know, all of that. So it all happened in my adult life. And that's something that I think, I love to convey to a lot of kids that you could be an urban kid and not have access to wildlife, you know, in your backyard or on your family trips, but it doesn't mean you don't belong in wildlife conservation or in, you know, in the environmental field it is never too late. It is absolutely never too late. And you can always learn along the way. You don't have to be actually viewing or actually side by side with a wild animal to be an expert in them.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that there's a lot of, you know, probably kids listening that are living in cities and maybe don't have a lot of access to natural spaces and who are just like, I mean, just by like listening to podcasts about animals, right? Like that's a great start to what could someday become a very rewarding career doing things like traveling to Africa to study lions, which I think for a lot of kids is like the dream, right? Like the maybe someday if I work really hard, I can go to Africa and study lions, which you got to live the dream. What was that like?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was absolutely a dream. And funnily enough, I think me as a kid, I think what I identified as my dream was going to India to study tigers. I think that's what I would always say when people would say, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'd say, I want to be a wildlife scientist. I want to study tigers in India.
0: Don't let the lions hear this. (laughs) If you're a lion listening, I'm so sorry. Turn this off.
1: And so funnily enough, to this day, I've never been to India. I've never seen a tiger in the wild, but I landed in graduate school as part of my education on studying lions in East Africa. And man, oh man, it absolutely was a dream come true. It was as good as you can imagine. Also very hard, very, very hard, physically very demanding, intellectually very demanding, but thrilling and exciting and adventurous and just very purposeful and a perfect match
0: for me it sounds like not necessarily a vacation <laughs> not a vacation amongst the big cats <laughs> I did not go
1: on Safari I wasn't guided in into lion territory I was working for my master's degree with a team of wildlife ecologists in Tanzania and we were very much trying to solve problems you know so lions need a lot of help they need a lot of protection and they 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 need it right now, right? Every time we lose a lion, every time a lion is killed, you know, by a human for some reason, it takes a lot to replace that lion on the landscape. So it was intellectual work. It taught me so much, but it was also very urgent, very, you know, what we might say, mission critical. And so it was serious. It wasn't a vacation. And we were camping or living at a field station and going out at the crack of dawn every day in our trucks to monitor the lions, to see how they were doing physically, to look at their locations and try to understand the patterns of their movement on the landscape. For example, we were curious about How often did they spend time near villages? And when they were near villages, why were they there? Were they hunting their native prey, like, you know, zebras and wildebeest, or were they trying to steal people's cattle and goats and things? You know, what were their patterns of movement? How could that tell us what habitat was most important for them? And then once we figured out what habitat was most important for them, how could we protect that habitat so they can keep thriving? while also keeping people safe.
0: Right, you mentioned that you were there to to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Like what did you mean by problems? You mean like conflict that they have with people or like problems that they're having within their own habitats? Like what what kind of problems were you there to solve?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. So one of the main problems, as I said, is human-wildlife conflict. So just solving the problem of when a lion gets a little too close to a human community and causes an issue. So one is just safety right lions can attack people they don't usually eat people but they can attack them and that is awful for humans and that causes a conflict you know and also remembering that humans and lions have shared the same landscapes for thousands and thousands of years so there are tons of examples of humans and lions coexisting together without conflict and without problems. So trying to figure out why are we having this conflict? You know what has changed in the environment? How can we change it back or change it in a different way so that that coexistence is possible again? And then other problems like climate change, right? So just trying to predict, okay, you know, lions eat other animals. And the animals that they usually eat are herbivores that eat plants. So if you take a zebra, for example, zebras eat grass. And as the climate changes, the grass isn't available in the same places that it's always been. So zebras are choosing different habitats, which means lions then have to choose whether they go and follow the zebras to these new parts of Tanzania Or do they pick a different food source? And is it people's cows or people's goats and their livestock? Or is it, you know, something else? So just a lot of changing dynamics. There's less and less habitat available for wildlife. and This isn't just in Africa. It's all over the world. There are a few places in the world where we're creating more wild habitat, but in general, just trying to figure out how can we do right by the animals that are still existing where they exist? How can we make it safe for them? How can we restore the habitat for them? And how can we make sure that the people living adjacent to them are also doing well? So it's like this. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. And with climate change, things are always moving, right? Climate change affects animals. It affects people. But there are solutions. There absolutely are solutions. But it kind of takes being in that place. And I was very fortunate. This is so important. I was very fortunate to be learning from and working with Tanzanian ecologists, right? So people who were born and raised and whose ancestors were from Tanzania, and had this knowledge, this historical knowledge of the place and visions for the future of Tanzania as they would like to see it. So I was very much a visitor, privileged to absorb that information and to learn from them. And I have taken a lot of that back to my career now, which is based in North America, where I'm from, and I'm employing it here.
0: That's awesome. That often gets overlooked with like people that really care about animals is sometimes trying to place them above Mm. like the humans that live Mm -hmm. there. But it it takes everybody. And these lions have like you mentioned how they've been living alongside humans for 1000s of years, and we're adapting around each other. And it takes everybody buying in (laughs) to make something work for everybody.
1: That's absolutely right. I mean, I it took me a long time. I mean, I, I have to say that I love school. I love academics. That's where I've been thriving. And I even work in an academic setting now. But at least in the times that I was getting my education, there wasn't this emphasis on human wellness as part of the wildlife conservation puzzle. It was very much like humans have made a mess of things. And so let's... That's the antagonist
0: of the story. Yeah. Let's focus
1: (laughs) on the wild animals. Um, But there is very much a social and sometimes a racial element that plays into that. So not all humans have made a mess of things (laughs) in the environment. There's demographics of people who do not have a history of destroying the environment. And often they're the people who get marginalized when it comes to conservation. So, you know, I can use the context, you know, historically conservation in East Africa has been driven by white Americans or white Europeans at the expense of black Africans, even though black africans don't have a history of destroying the environment or you know negatively interacting with wild animals so you know there is this puzzle where we can't say that we're successful if animals are doing great but people are living in poverty that, that's right. not a healthy, balanced ecosystem. Um, so the idea is to make sure that animals are doing as well as possible while people are thriving. Conservation isn't really possible when people are suffering, especially when young people and kids don't have all of the resources they need because they're the future of conservation. They're the future of these places. So making sure that wildlife conservation is also very, very beneficial to human communities is of utmost importance and it's possible. You know, it's not like some impossible thing. It is absolutely possible. It's happening in plenty of places, especially when the conservation is driven and led by people who are from those communities.
0: They've been doing it great. There you go. It had been going fine for thousands of years. What suddenly happened? Ah. It is
1: interesting, you know, the legacy of colonialism plays a huge role in the way that we figure out conservation today. And, and again, the education in wildlife conservation is often siloed, right? It's like, this is science, this is history, this is sociology,
0: you know, this and clearly is... those things can't be related. <laughs> and it's like, they're all it's a, it
1: should be a multidisciplinary field. I mean, we're trying to just like, come up with solutions that make The world's been round in the best way possible. And that involves all kinds of things working in harmony. So, you know, it's funny, you know, not a lot of scientists speak like this. And I have learned from some incredible scientists who have opened my mind up to some of the miseducations I've had. And now I try to do as you know, the best job that I can to really speak holistically about, you know, improving things for the environment and for wild animals as being a part of, you know, improving things for people.
0: Right. And when we're talking about, you know, resolving conflicts with these wild animals, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that they've adapted to their environment in kind of specific ways, um, in ways that are like refined to the specific like needs and challenges and obstacles of a specific place that sometimes when we try to also live in that place at the same time as them, there can be some friction between us. But if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, our whole deal is that we review animals by rating them (laughs) out of 10 and different categories. And the first category we rate animals on is effectiveness, which for us is physical attributes, traits that are like built into the animal's body, right? So this is a predator. So this would be things like their sharp claws, their teeth, Mm -hmm. their muscles, things that are built in that let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do. Catch their prey, eat their prey, not be become prey themselves, what do you give African lions out of 10 for effectiveness?
1: African lions out of 10, I would give them like a seven. Okay. i give them a seven. And I want to, I'm going to bring up some like, some like technical terms here, but they have what we call sexual dimorphism Mm. di means two and so that means like the two sexes male and female lions look differently you can like look with your eyes and tell the difference between a male and a female which isn't the case with all animals and so the reason i'm bringing this into the conversation is that they live in these places that get pretty darn hot and Mm. male lions have these huge manes, which can make them uncomfortably hot (laughs) And when you're too hot and kind of overheating, you might not do your best hunting work.
0: (laughs) It's like wearing the like Macklemore thrift shop jacket. (laughs) It's like wearing this big
1: fur coat for no reason, and it's not for no reason. I mean, there's a lot of theories about why uh, male lions have these big manes, and one of them might be for attracting females, which helps them get their genes in the gene pool. But that is why I'm giving them a seven out of ten is because they actually can overheat sometimes, and that impacts you know their ability to do
0: their best hunting. But
1: take the jacket off. take it off or get a, get a haircut, you
0: know, or something. So the female lions have it figured out.
1: And the female lions do most of the hunting. They really do. They work together in their prides and they do most of the hunting. And then lions are big cats. And even like house cats, they do a lot of resting as well. I mean, they have these big, powerful bodies and they need to have a lot of rest. So so they have the claws, they have the teeth, they have the, the muscular capability. They have these amazing tails that don't do nothing, but they help. Their tails actually are like rudders that help them when they're running and pivoting, oh. chasing prey. So, you know, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that they are very <laughs> effective hunters. And at the same time, they're, they're very playful with each other. So when their friends are in their little prides, which are often family communities, they'll wrestle, they'll play, they'll play fight and they can be very delicate with those teeth and those claws at the same time.
0: So it's pretty Mm -hmm. impressive.
1: I'd give them maybe like a 7.5, maybe 7.5 out of
0: 10. (laughs) That's interesting. It kind of implies that they have like a lot of control over that, that they They can use it like Mm -hmm. for so much power and to like take down massive animals, but they can also like gently play with a kitten. Mm -hmm. Isn't that sweet? Like that implies that they have like a a lot of dexterity with it, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, seeing a lion in the wild, if you're lucky enough to do that, you know, maybe you do go on a safari, you'll likely see it resting. Mm. But, you know, Jump on YouTube, find some of those, you know, active lion videos, and you can just sit in awe for hours.
0: The way you described like them resting and also combined with like the females are the ones that do the hunting, the males have these big, heavy manes. It seems like the males are like laying back at camp like, I just can't hunt. I've got <laughs> this big jacket. And she's like, take off the jacket. Do like... like me. Take it off. It <laughs> makes a big difference. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no. No, I can't do that. <laughs> it looks so good. I can't take it off so that I can join you on this hunt i actually have to keep on this very cool jacket i
1: feel like male lions and male peacocks have a lot in common (laughs) (laughs) just these big displays on their bodies that they just can't you know not use
0: (laughs) they're like well what do you expect me to do not look great (laughs) not look beautiful you can't eat zebras if you're not cute And look drab. I could never. Could not but then again, the female lions keep picking it. So like they don't seem to be bothered by it. Exactly. I guess. Exactly. That's just me, I guess, extrapolating human values onto them and assuming that they would want like a more egalitarian maybe that's just not what they're like you know what we've got it figured out (laughs) yeah the mains are working it's true maybe this is weaponized incompetence
1: and that is something to discuss with the male lion community i think yes if
0: we could get them on (laughs) real quick if we could pass them a mic and see if we could get a correspondent (laughs) on just step it up (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to ask you about something that i've heard about lions and see if this is something that you've heard or if this is something you have a take on i've heard that they have an abysmally low success rate in hunting and that a lot of times when they hunt they don't like close the deal
1: Mm, mm. is that
0: something is this consistent with like what you've observed
1: i would not say abysmally low but with a lot of predators you know again they don't have to hunt that often right Mm. so one kill can feed them for a long time Mm. and so it's one of those things where let's say you know they try all day and they get five misses and one win it's not like maybe fish right so like a grizzly bear trying to get a fish if it only gets one fish a day it's going to be a hungry bear right it actually needs to catch several fish a day to be full and to pack on the pounds the way it needs to but with a lion like one zebra every five days is actually you know enough to kind of keep it going so that is again something that just like nature kind of builds that in right because again if lions were eating like a zebra a day like we wouldn't have enough zebras on this planet to feed them all so it actually it actually works so is it that there are bad at hunting, or is it that they know they don't have to be great at hunting in order to survive?
0: That's true. I hadn't really heard that like brought up as something because I always hear about this sort of like dragging lions a little bit. This is always brought up when someone's trying to like roast lions.
1: Um, <laughs> which is like a poor use
0: of someone's time. Like don't don't, don't like, spend don't your time roast,
1: roasting lions. Like it's not. Don't worth do that. It. They're excellent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so I'm wondering, like, if you know that you're like, yeah, I could get by without it. Right. But you're not going to work that hard for it it would be better to cut your losses right. and be like this one's too far away i'm not going to waste the precious energy that i do have exactly. working too hard to take down this thing that I don't really need that bad anyway. So
1: believe it or not, you are actually describing an ecological theory. Let me hear about it. It is called optimal foraging theory. And most predators exercise optimal foraging theory, which is essentially what you just said. It is maximizing caloric intake while minimizing caloric offtake. Right. So like eating as much as you can without using too much energy. Right. I mean, humans do it. That's why we go to the grocery store. We're like, oh, I could create a farm and harvest every single grain and, you know, thing that I eat. Or I could like order, (laughs) order delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Like that is less work. And I. that's my
0: optimal foraging. That's what I'm going to tell myself next time. I'm like door dashing. I'm like, I'm just optimally foraging.
1: (laughs) It is your instinct as a wild animal. And so for lions as well, they're like, I could chase this gazelle all day long and probably eventually get it but I would be burning 100,000 calories. Or I could chase it a little bit, if it gets away that's fine, but I only burned a thousand calories and then I'm gonna try the next one and maybe I'll get it, right? So optimal forging theory, getting as much food as you can with the least amount of effort, that is what keeps you alive. And staying alive means you're more likely to have babies and having babies means your genetics are in the gene pool for longer. And that is how you survive.
0: I'm going to bring that up next time someone is trying to like trash lions. Be like, they don't even catch all the hunts. They-. I'm like, that's
1: because they don't need to, baby. No, yeah. call them lazy, call them whatever you want. But it is, it is truly a survival mechanism. If you don't know exactly when your next meal is coming, it's better to conserve all of your calories.
0: It reminds me of, like, I'm I'm from Florida, and it reminds me of alligators who, like, mm-hmm. they might snap at you and chase you for, like, 10 feet, but if you can, mm-hmm. like, get a mm-hmm. good distance away, they're like, eh. Yeah,
1: they're like, that's <laughs> enough. I scared that person away, and that's what I needed to do. I didn't need to eat them. I didn't need yeah. to kill them. That takes energy.
0: Get off my lawn, <laughs> and that's about it. That's all I care about. <laughs> exactly. Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of our friends on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are going to get to our ratings for African lions. So stay with us.
1: If you need a laugh and you're on
0: the go, try S T O P P O D C A ah, S T I. Hmm. Are you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call Ah, It'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try.
1: If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. I'm Miffy Whiteyway, the host of Maximum Film. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, also the host of Maximum Film. And I'm Drea Clark, yet another
0: host of Maximum Film. Every week, we hosts Huddle Up,
1: usually with an
0: illustrious guest, and we talk about films. We have film news. We have film quizzes.
1: We answer your film questions. It's like the maximum
0: amount of film talk. That's why we call it Maximum, maximum Film. film. Maximum Film, the movie podcast that's not just a bunch of straight white guys. New episodes weekly on MaximumFun.org. So since you mentioned, you know, they're, they're optimally forging, sounds like there's a lot of decision-making and a lot of strategy that goes into their hunting, especially since you mentioned the, the female lions are the ones doing the hunting. I wanted to talk a little bit about that in our next category that we rate animals on, which is ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptations, things they're actually doing that might give them an edge, help them solve problems that they face. Uh, what do you give African lions out of 10 for ingenuity? Ingenuity.
1: I, I'll give them a high score. I will give them a high score and I'm basing it off of one thing essentially. Ooh, so okay. so let's give them a let's give them an eight. And the reason it's not a ten is because they do not have I'm throwing all these terms out here, but I think it's educational.
0: Yes, please. I love terms.
1: Good. Okay. They do not have what we call diet plasticity. Oh. In ecology to be plastic means you have like variety, right? So their diet is only meat and raw meat right they're what we call obligate carnivores they have to eat meat so a, a lion can't eat a carrot and feel well right like they have to they can't graze on some grass like it's got to be meat which means that they cannot exist in an ecosystem that doesn't have something to hunt contrast that with like say a grizzly bear a grizzly bear can eat lots of meat or it can eat Lots of fish, or it can eat lots of berries, or it can eat lots of insects, or it can, you know, it's, it can eat it can honey, eat trash it can, out of a dumpster, it can eat trash out of a dumpster. You know, so it has like a lot. It can be in all these different ecosystems that offer all these different types of food and still thrive. So that's why I'm not giving lions a ten, mm. but at the same time, they can exist in different habitats that do have something to eat, right? So we see lions in the savannas which are grasslands, and we see lions on coasts, right? There are like beach lions, you know, in Amazing. East Africa and South what Africa incredible and vibe. West Africa, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You, There are forest lions. There aren't a lot of them left, but there are some, you know, African ecosystems that have forests. There are desert lions, right? So lions in Namibia or lions in North Africa, you know, that are desert lions. And so that's pretty cool that their bodies, can thrive in all of these different landscapes and then another thing that i just think is is funny and kind of cool but i've studied lions again that live in parts of africa where there are communities of people that have livestock and livestock bring a lot of flies right like there's just like all these flies and then you know lions in general they'll like you know they'll eat a an animal and they'll kind of sit by that animal as they're eating it for a while and eventually flies fly around and they use their tails to swat at flies and i always just think that is so convenient i'm like oh sometimes i wish i had a tail and so i wouldn't have to (laughs) use my hands to slap them around but just kind of use my tail to get rid of them so that is something that I, i think is underrated about lions is the efficacy of their tail
0: I have watched a lot of like youtube videos and documentaries like i i have not had the pleasure of seeing lions in the wild i've seen them in zoos but like you don't get to see that same like behavior that you see in in the wild but i've watched documentaries of lions and something that always blows me away is like the coordination between them when they're Mm -hmm. on a hunt Mm -hmm. like that they're able to like see a prey know like we have a certain strategy we use for this prey and then like if they need to change it then they can change it like i think that's really amazing (laughs)
1: It is. It is. They're excellent. I mean, they're just an amazing, amazing species of animal and big cat. And, you know, that's why they're iconic.
0: For good reason.
1: They earned it.
0: I think they Mm -hmm. earned it.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you say I'm giving them high ratings here because, you know, they're a fave. Yeah.
0: On top of being, you know, these big, powerful sort of apex predator hunters, they also get a lot of PR points for just being cool to look at. They roar. They really oh. roar, right? This is something I have experienced. Like I've seen, I've been around lions that were roaring, and it's something that you feel. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just like hear it with your ears. Like it like shakes your whole body. Yeah.
1: Though <laughs> I mean, like the roars are, again are not necessarily something you'll hear at the zoo, but like we all know that the the lion will male female whatever will let out this huge roar and it is just it is special when it happens
0: did you get to hear the the wild lions roaring while you were studying them
1: yeah yeah i did sometimes and that that was i mean even mostly from a distance where i couldn't see a lion but i'd hear a Mm. roar and be like oh my gosh that was a lion roared is it scary I never felt scared by that. Yeah, but I could but I could see how it would be like if you didn't know that you were possibly near lions and you heard a roar that might freak you out. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you were like on foot instead of in the safety of a vehicle, then I would have been, you know, I would have been scared. But in general, no, it was very exciting.
0: Oh, good, good. I'm I'm glad there wasn't, like, necessarily a fear element to that, because, like, it's cool to, like, me having not been there, it's very easy for me to be like, wow, that's so cool, even though yeah. in the moment you could have just been, like, peeing yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Or peeing, or peeing behind a bush, you hear a roar, that's not the time to hear that roar, you know.
0: Not in, not in a vulnerable setting, that's not no. good. <laughs> but a lot of people, you ask them what their favorite animal is, lion is, like, a pretty good bet great hit rate on lions being a favorite animal. And I think that a lot of that has, just has to do with like how beautiful they are, mm-hmm. which is what our final category is that we rate animals on is aesthetics. How nice is this animal to look at? Straightforward. What do you give African lions out of 10 for aesthetics?
1: Oh, 10. I mean, 10. It's a perfect Cats. Creature. I mean, it's not, it's not fair. It's not fair when you're talking about cats. Cats are just like objectively very beautiful. They're elegant. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's a big cat, like a lion, a tiny little cat. I mean, they are graceful. They're elegant. They are beautiful. I mean, you know, their facial market, like just, it's just, it's just not fair, right? <laughs> like I have a couple of friends who have these like feline kind of features and you're just like, what? Like you look like a cat. You're extra gorgeous, you know? So 10, 10, male, female, cub, doesn't matter. Absolute 10. Even like, like toy lions look beautiful.
0: There are few animals that when you tell a human being that they look like that animal, it's a compliment. It's a
1: compliment. Mm-hmm. I think cat's
0: the only one I can think of. I can't think of any other animal that you tell someone they look like it and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, But someone says, oh, you're a very cat-like person. That's like, oh, th- well, thank you. That is like very. Yeah, it's like, oh. I." Yeah, know. it makes you feel good. <laughs>
1: I have heard before that, I mean, and not lions, but house cats like know that they're beautiful that they actually like judge beauty and they like know that they're more beautiful than their owners are, <laughs> and So you know? So anyway, like, like cats like look in the mirror and they're kind of like, oh yes, there I am. Just perfect <laughs> and stunning and there you are. The way you you're just
0: you <laughs> with
1: a silly face yeah
0: <laughs> this is the human that lives in my house <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as someone who got to like work with lions and has actually had a chance to like really see them in their element i wanted to ask just super super quick before we wrap up did you see the live action lion king it wasn't live action but like the cgi lion king the one that came out like a couple years ago
1: no no i didn't um i i have excuses for a while, I haven't seen it. I will offer excuses. I'm I'm like a mother to young kids, and so I like have no free time to myself to do things. Oh, if
0: it's not on Disney Plus, I probably haven't seen it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but I, I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm interested in seeing it because The Lion yeah. King is a great story right. and an iconic, you know, Disney film, and so I'm very supportive of Lion King anything.
0: I was going to ask you about it because a common criticism of that movie is that it takes like the animated movie with the very animated cartoony facial expressions and then like the CGI version they have much more realistic like mm. not a lot of facial expression not a lot of movement in the face mm. and the eyebrows and stuff and a lot of people felt like that made it very like dull mm. and not have the same sort of like expressiveness as the original animated movie and I feel like that's only let that only comes across if you don't already like love the way that lions faces look mm-hmm, <laughs> it's like if you just mm-hmm. love lions and you're like this is great <laughs> <laughs>
1: i mean i can see i can understand that criticism you know the lion king is a musical and yeah. so it's it's very emotive right it, mm-hmm. is, it is performance it is broadway for goodness sake so so having that emotion conveyed i think is important for the Lion King, but Mm -hmm. it is not realistic for lions. So so there's kind of this tension there. So I could I can understand and, you know, like, like, what are you gonna do? Like, like, (laughs) like, if you give a wild animal a human voice and a human experience, it's not going to match up. So it's
0: going to get uncanny valley really quick.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I so I get that. I mean, and I think I think that's probably a very fair criticism. Very, very fair. So mm-hmm. maybe some people would say, like, maybe let's not make live action movies of animal, you know, stories and and fair enough. You know, I'm kind of like, do whatever. Like you can't <laughs> like the Lion King is is iconic. I love animated films. I mean, who doesn't? Like, we're all kids once and we've all watched, you know, probably have our favorite animated films. So I love it when they're old. I love it when they're remade. I just I just think there's something so special in our culture about, you know, an animated film. But I also am not someone who's like so stuck on tradition oh, that sure, I yeah. can't except like innovation, you know, I'm like, innovate the heck out of stuff. I can still access the old one that I like and appreciate the new one that you made. Like, let's go for it. Yeah.
0: And if it inspires like one little kid out there to be like, wow, look how cool these lions are. Maybe I want to like, learn more about animals and learn more about wildlife and Mm -hmm. get interested in like, you know, if it's getting like one kid out there hooked on like animals and, and nature and conservation, like, I feel like that's a win
1: yeah and technology is important right like you know cgi is like people made that right people worked really hard to design and engineer the cgi so Hmm. so so that's something too i mean like how cool is it that there are people who are technicians and engineers and and cgi designers that get to work with and learn about wild animals. I mean, that's that's just, you know, it's just another example of how there are so many different ways to be involved with protecting wildlife. So if your interest is film or engineering or computer science or graphics, like you still play a role in this community and that's Mm. just great. There's a diversity of us.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned that because before we close out for today, I would love for you to let our friends listening know about the projects that you're working on. Uh, people listening are obviously already listening on a podcast device, right? So they can flip right over and find a great new podcast to to listen to. Um, let our friends listening know where they can find you after this.
1: Oh, yeah, because I have a podcast and I have a podcast that I'm so proud of. So, so, so proud of. You
0: should be. (laughs) Yes, I I
1: really am. I mean, I have pride in all of my projects. There is something that is so special about the podcast and I don't want to give any spoilers, but it is not what you think so the podcast is called going wild with dr raywin grant you can find going wild anywhere you listen to your podcasts and season three drops in early september september 7th is when season three rolls out and it is not what you think so it is stories of wild adventures with animals and identity journeys along the way. And so our stories are about bears and they're about hyenas and they're about lizards and they're about, you know, all the African wildlife, all the South American wildlife, all the Asian wildlife. I mean, just, just wild animals everywhere. And there are some sub stories in each wild animal story that will just below your mind. I, I, I'm just so proud. And for season three, we have the most incredible guests we've ever had, people who are true heroes out there, and a lot of names that you'll recognize as well.
0: I'm so excited. And, you know, going back to what you said earlier about like people feeling a little bit disconnected, like humans aren't like part of nature, or like, you know, that's just something that happens somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, I love like tying together wildlife stories and human stories, and it helps you really like relate. To wildlife and especially like if you are someone who doesn't grow up around wildlife and like it helps bridge the gap a little bit mm-hmm. so i will have links to everything in the show description so that anybody listening here can just scroll down in the episode description and click through you can follow ray's podcast um, i'll have linked your website uh so that people can keep up with news about your show and i can't thank you enough for spending this time with us today it's been really fun i've learned a lot i didn't know a lot of the terms that you about me so I've collected some treasures.
1: <laughs> Add them to your glossary but they'll come up again I'm sure with the podcast that you host they will come up again so now you're in the
0: know. Look at me I, I got some fancy terminology I can throw around and make mm-hmm. myself sound very smart. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you so much it's been a complete delight. thank you for your time and we will talk to you later. Thanks for having me bye bye. Thanks bye. Thank you all so much for listening, I hope that the Lions' elegance and power has earned them a spot in your very own pride. If you liked what you heard today, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. We read them all the time and they make us incredibly happy and each one means the world to us. If you want to hang out with us online, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description. You can send me an email at ellen at if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear about on the show. We'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other amazing shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks.